You're listening to Nightmare on Film Street. The current time is 6.66. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife. But it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on Nightmare Time. So, let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street, the horror movie podcast for the casually obsessed. I'm John. I'm Kim. And we're back in the summer of 97. The fucking summer that gave us two iconic Nicolas Cage movies, and we're here to talk about the second one. The first last week was Face Off, a masterpiece of of gun fu, and here today we're talking about Con Air. Honestly, maybe the first straight action film we've ever done on the podcast. A controversial pick, but I think in the context of the summer of 97, with Nicolas Cage and Face Off, this this is the perfect pairing for that film. And also, despite, you know, shark movies and monster movies and, and all of those classics that we would normally do to celebrate summer, there's really nothing better, apart from those films that I just mentioned. Yes. Than a summer blockbuster, a summer action blockbuster, and you know you can you can definitely frame it a, a little differently than the poster or the trailer is selling it. Maybe even the movie. It's Nicolas Cage doing a bad Alabama accent, going up against a plane full of serial killers. Like, forget snakes. We got multiple murderers on this plane. motherfucking serial killers (laughs) on this motherfucking plane. Exactly. And that's what we're here to talk about today. I cannot wait to get into it. I've seen this movie a billion times. I could have recorded this podcast without rewatching the movie, but, you know, it's always good to, to go into it with some fresh eyes. Kim, before we get started, three good things about Con Air. As a person who hasn't been steeping in this movie their entire life. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with the obvious choice mm-hmm. and say uh, Nicolas Cage in maybe one of his most reserved yes. performances. The logline of this film, bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. Nicolas Cage, reserved. It might, he might as well be in a lifetime action movie. He is in a lifetime action yeah, movie. You've heard of Rage Cage, but have you seen Sage Cage? <laughs> this is the most morally uncorruptible cage we have ever seen. He is, he is on the green calm. side of good. <laughs> yes. And also his hairstyle inspired. He looks like Chad Kroger from Nickelback. Okay, yeah. Number number 2 could probably just be that we got an incredible cast of characters. Some, an ensemble of goodies. Oh my god. And people that you see pop up in some of your favorite horror movies. We've even got Danny Trejo in one of the darker roles that he's yeah, probably ever done. Danny oh Trejo. My god. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> Steve Buscemi is a serial killer that makes, uh, I don't know, Ted Bundy and, and Jeffrey Dahmer look like ice cream salesmen. Yeah, the combination of Danny Trejo and Steve Buscemi's characters are what make this a valid choice for Nightmare on Film Street. And, uh, you know, uh, John Malkovich in an early villain role. John Malkovich, of course! Not his first villain role, but uh, definitely the role that I think, you know, proved to the world that this dude could do sadistic motherfuckers. And, of course, Ving Rhames just fucking killing it. Everybody needs some muscle, and he's got such personality. What's our number three? Our number three, you know, we're going to go top level. We're going to go really high with this. Okay. The fucking title. The fucking title of this movie 
is inspired. You just like con air. I, I think it's so fucking great. And they mentioned it in the movie a ton of times. I love that. Welcome it's- to con air, <laughs> gentlemen. It's super cheesy, but I love it. They use the logo from the plane for the logo of the movie. The title card comes up. It's con air. And then you see it again on the plane, but it says jailbird this time. That was actually one of the original titles for the film. Oh, that was. Oh, um, that would have been cool. Which, you know, when you think about it, the, the metaphor is still there. Jailbird. Yes. It's a plane heist movie. Uh-huh, it works. Um, but Con Air is just so fucking like corporate and fun and kitsch and I love it. Do you think somebody wrote this movie while blow drying their hair in a hotel bathroom? Sure. <laughs> you know, con, you've never seen a Con Air. Oh, like Air. Con Air. Oh, Anyway, those are just three good things. <laughs> bad uh, joke. <laughs> very bad joke. Those are just three good things. Love this goddamn movie. Can't wait to talk about it. We're going to show you a very Jerry Bruckheimer tra- movie trailer, and then we're going to come back and talk about this not Michael Bay, but very Michael Bay action movie. How do I live without you? Is that in the trailer? I don't know. Oh, fuck. <laughs> After serving the last of his sentence... Cameron Poe is taking the first plane home to his wife and daughter. Today's flight is a special one. We're populating Louisiana's Felton Penitentiary. These guys are the worst of the worst. I see a lot of celebrities among us. I see 11 primetime lives, three Regents and Kathy Lee's, and a genuine 2020 interview What you looking at, punk? Nothing, I was just lying on your cage. But one wrong flight. Stewardess, what's the in-flight movie today? <laughs> can ruin your whole day. Welcome to Con Air. Jailbird 1, you are not cleared for takeoff. And nobody on this aircraft gives a flyer. The issue here is how the plane is brought down. Shoot it down. There are innocent people up there. He's got a little girl to come home to. He's been waiting for this day for eight years. What are you going to do? What do you think I'm going to do? I'm going to save the day. This summer, check your weapons. Take your seat. Isn't that your car? And say your prayers. From Jerry Bruckheimer, the producer of The Rock, Nicholas Cage, John Cusack, John Malkovich. Where are they gonna land this thing? How do you feel about the blackjack tables? On June 6th. Air, directed by Simon West. Thank you, and have a pleasant flight. Con Air is currently sitting at a 6.9 out of 10 on IMDb, 58% on Rotten Tomatoes, Incorrect. and 3.4 out of 5 on Ladderbox. Correct. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's closer. I'm still... I still think we could reach some b- bigger heights, but you know, that's that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, no, this movie, as I mentioned, directed by Simon West, who, Kim, I think you'll appreciate, also directed Tomb Raider. Oh, I love Tomb Raider. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he also directed the Never Gonna Give You Up music video. Did he? <laughs> yes, he wow. did. Wow. <laughs> Most importantly, though, movies produced by Jerry Bruckheimer, who's done so many fucking great action movies, including like all the all the 90s Michael Bay movies. He did Gone in 60 Seconds. Jerry Bruckheimer, one of the best producers we've ever had. Very, not a producer we've really had a chance to talk about much uh, on this podcast, but somebody whose work you're definitely familiar with. I mean, like, he's, you know, responsible for Top Gun. He's responsible for Pirates of the Caribbean. You know, this motherfucker makes movies. 
I wonder what his smallest budget film is. Smallest budget film? I mean, looking at this, I mean, hell, it might be Thief, that Michael Mann movie. That probably didn't have a whole ton of money way back in the day. I'm not familiar with that film. Is it good? Yeah, it's great. James Caan is a is a thief. He you know he breaks into vaults and stuff. Uh, sounds familiar. Yeah, James Caan. You dope. don't remember seeing this? They they build like a gigantic like thirty foot rod that they use to burn through the lock of this fucking giant vault that they're getting into. And it's like he's he's gonna do one last big score before he's gonna retire. I fucking and then love... he gets involved with the mob, and the mob's just like, oh, you thought it was one last job? You're ours forever. The mob's always like that. Yeah, you no. you can never get away from the mob. I've described half of mob movies. Uh, <laughs> but I do really love a heist movie. A vault crack is... Yeah, and it is... You know what's funny is I don't know that I ever necessarily think of Con Air as being a heist movie. But when you said it, like, hell yeah, it is. It's just you don't... They're heisting their lives! They're heisting their lives. You don't necessarily see them planning the heist, which is always... Well, one, how you know you're in a heist movie. But my usually my favorite part of the heist is the hour and 20-minute build-up to the 10-minute heist. <laughs> but yeah, like we basically just introduce a shit ton of killer characters. Characters. See, that's traditional to a heist movie. Heist movies always have a, and you got a, a dossier like, on everybody. A personality yeah. of characters. Like, here's our hacker girl with the cool hair. Here's this person who's like really good at listening to vaults unlock. You need that person. Yeah, and here's our contortionist who can hide in the smallest box you can find. She's gonna do a laser thing later. It's gonna be exciting. And this is Doug. He's really good at ordering pizzas. Yeah, <laughs> Doug's basically just the getaway guy, the gopher who gets everybody coffee. The comedic relief. Yeah, but he has a skateboard in the in like the heist planning warehouse, and you're like, why does he have that here? <laughs> yes, it's perfect. In this movie, that character well not that character, but the person who's introducing us to everybody is John Cusack, who's a US Marshal who handles the uh I don't know. Un- Honestly, Do- dozen plane flights. Like, we we tra- we transport a hundred and fifty passengers a year annually with the jailbirds. Like that's not very many people. <laughs> no, that's like three flights. <laughs> but he's he's the guy that oversees this entire operation. And is in this movie a surprising amount of time. Are you upset about that? I you know I I could care for less John Cusack. Ooh, you and I differ on that. I just want to be on the plane the whole time. I don't want oh, them sure. to do nothing else but be on that plane. John Cusack's like the. Um, He's like the Walter Matthau in this movie of like taking Pelham one two three, just like the guy that we talk to only on the radio, or the cop in 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 uh, in Die Hard. Very Bruce much Willis so. Is yeah. Bruce Willis is talking to throughout the whole movie. Like they've they've built a relationship and a rapport, but they've never met each other. Yeah, and then when they doesn't... finally do, he's like, "I met your daughter." Like you met my daughter. Was she beautiful? <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> he, they've got a D, they've got a DEA agent that they're sneaking onto this plane with all of these criminals, and that's how we're introducing every bad motherfucker that's climbing aboard. Um, they're giving them the rundown on Cyrus the Virus, played by John Malkovich, who's done everything from kidnapping to extortion to murder. He's thirty nine years old, and he's been in jail for twenty five years of those. Wow, that's he did a lot. In that's his a lot early of time. years, and then also edu- got what two uh, degrees while behind bars. Good for him. May- just became a smarter, sassier bad guy. <laughs> I was like, except he used them for more badness. <laughs> We've got Diamond Dog, played by Ving Rhames, who's like a black revolutionary who's basically just in jail for like killing a bunch of white politicians uh who's also written a few books behind prison and has been interviewed by Geraldo Rivera we're told <laughs> he's a cool character he's definitely like the most dangerous person on the plane uh because i you also get the sense that as soon as the movie's over he's going to kill everybody and be the last man standing i feel like he's the most dangerous person to be let out 
because he's like a um, passionate career criminal. Whereas, yeah. like, I feel like John Malkovich, you have to cross him for him to kill you. Mm. Like, he's got to weigh the options of whether it's advantageous for him to kill you. He creates personal vendettas. Exactly. Like, I feel like John Malkovich, for the sake of not having to go back to jail, would probably lay pretty low. Probably. Um, Ving Rhames is a man with a plan who's who's going to get a team together and put a bomb somewhere. Yeah, and and, and Danny Trejo. Please never let out Danny Trejo. Danny Trejo. Man, he's fucked. What's his, his name's Johnny Rose, right? Johnny 23. Johnny 23, who is in jail for the uh, violent rape of at least 23 women. He's got uh, a, a tattooed rose for every single one of his ladies, he says. Uh, and he's like, they'd call me Johnny 500 if they knew the truth. He's fucked. His whole thing in this movie is that he just wants to rape the female guard that they've got handcuffed. Honestly, after we watched the film, I had to go to his Instagram and like re oh, refresh just, myself. Just like of how nice a man <laughs> Danny Trejo is. Danny Trejo and like his tacos and his like adopted dogs. Yes. And just like that time he <sighs> saved a dude from a car accident. <laughs> <laughs> what a nice man. I mean, there's, there's a whole bunch of other people. Like, there's, a, I can't remember his name now. Is it Billy Bishop? Is that the name? The dude who's like, he caught his wife cheating on him, and he went, he drove, he didn't, he didn't kill her or her lover. He just drove across town, killed her parents, her sister, her dog. Like, it's just like a crazy motherfucker. But Steve Buscemi, man of the hour, late to the game. Comes late arrival, but steals the show. Halfway through the movie. He's, like, you think uh, Hannibal Lecter's all changed? up in Silence of the Lambs, this guy you'd think is a human bomb. He's in a, he's in a, he's basically strapped to this 500 pound metal chair. He's got leather straps all over him so he can't even, he can't move a finger. And then they just, they, they put him onto the plane and everybody's terrified of okay, him. Okay, this is a good part here to segue to my horror movie theory of Con Air. And okay. I think you're going to appreciate this. Before, but, but. I, audiences, I think you're going to appreciate one, this. One last little quick thing, you know, We've also got Nicolas Cage, who has just been paroled and is waiting to go home to see his wife and daughter. We can talk about him in a minute. So in the film, most of the, like, severe criminals, basically anybody who's committed murder, are in little, like, prison cages on this aircraft. Yeah. Kind of like the ghosts. Oh. (laughs) In... 13 fucking ghosts. <laughs> so it's these these are the 13 ghosts before they all died. Yes, well no, like they're like all being let out one by one on yeah. the plane to cause havoc and and basically kill anybody good on board. But when they introduce Steve Buscemi and he's all shackled up, he is the motherfucking jackal. Okay. He is baddie number 1. Got it. Okay, yeah. All right. And everybody's either scared of him or, you know, like hey, love your work. You know, like, like they don't all underestimate him. Yes. Despite the fact that the entire movie, he's just very calm, very collected, like he's been doing therapy for 20 years and is just at peace with being the monster that he was. But he did say that he's like, one time I drove like halfway across the country with a woman's head on my or head on my head like a hat. And yes. you're just like, whoa. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that is that's a wild theory. I like that a lot. That would make a very fun double bill. Who's the Matthew Lillard of the group in Con Air? Is it Dave Chappelle as Pinball who lets everybody out? Is that Matt? Is that our Matthew Lillard? Ooh, I don't know if there is a Matthew Lillard because it's got to be somebody who's pained and full of regret, but still on the wrong team. I mean, that sounds like still has to be on the wrong team. Does he have to be on the wrong team? I mean, maybe it's is Nicholas. I guess Nicholas Cage is basically our our Matthew Lillard. He's trying to make sure that you know he's sticking around to make sure that everything goes according to plan. 
He's obviously pained because he had an opportunity to leave but chose to stay because he's a U.S. Ranger. And Rangers don't leave a man behind. They lead the fight since the 1700s. They've been charging into battle, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) You know, like, there's a real patriot bend to this movie that's pretty fucking great. It's true. And we have a double agent, but it's the other way around. We have a good guy turned bad. Uh, versus a bad guy turned good. That's true. I mean, hey, was he ever a bad guy? He just defended his wife. It's like it's a barroom brawl, more or less. They're leaving a bar. I was talking at the about beginning. the DEA agent. Oh, that's the good guy turned bad. Why, how did yeah, he go like, bad? What? No, the good guy turned bad was from Thirteen Ghosts. It's um the teacher from Matilda. Oh, I see. And then the bad guy turned good is the guy that's dressed like a prisoner and is like on the good guy's team. But then he does nothing beneficial and gives them another gun. (laughs) Gives them another gun. Jumps out at the most inopportune moment. He's like, hey, I'm undercover. (laughs) I'm undercover. I'm taking this plane. Now that all the bad guys are uncuffed and I'm surrounded and no one is on my side, I'm letting you know the law is here and you have to respect it. Not gonna happen. And even Nicolas Cage knows. He's just like, ugh. <laughs> yeah, he's like, you're in a situation you can't handle. Um, so early on in the movie, Kim pointed out to me that Nicolas Cage, who's from Mobile, Alabama. Which is where my uncle lives. Lives? Which is, lived. Which is the- My uncle lives in Alabama. Somewhere. One of the most classic <laughs> Alabama spots uh, where you would expect the most- authentic Alabama accent to come from. And I know Alabama accents. And this accent is Louisiana. <laughs> he is a Georgian peach. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the ev- everything that he says has a little bit of a French flair to it. I'm coming home, baby. <laughs> yeah. I'm sitting on my veranda with my rocking <laughs> yes. chair swing chair. What is it that he says? Tie ribbon around the old oak tree because this jailbird's coming home. <laughs> That's exactly what he oh, sounds sweet like. sweet Casey, please stay in kindergarten. Yeah. He's like, this plane is hot. I do declare that I have the vapors. <laughs> uh, fun fact about that. The set that they built, the plane, uh-huh. not air conditioned. I believe it. they were actually hot. And Everybody fucking- is sweating <laughs> yeah. in this movie. And there's the occasional... It's like people have just broken out. Like Danny Trejo especially... Very, very sweaty. I feel like Danny Trejo cannot be in a movie unless he's sweaty. It makes him look meaner and yeah, tougher, like, and right? Not, not because I think he's a sweaty dude, but it just, like, it accentuates the look. The mm. look of Danny Trejo. Sweaty, violent, cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when, uh, when, when everybody first gets let out, he immediately goes over to the... Um, the security guard, the female security guard that they've got chained up, and he's just creeping on her a whole shit ton. Nicolas Cage basically just kicks him off of her, and Danny Trejo's like, do you know what I am? And Nicolas Cage has the absolute best response. He's like, ugly all day. <laughs> he's got so many great one-liners in this movie. Uh, put the bunny down. <laughs> put the bunny back in the box. That's the best. Yeah, because that, that's his whole thing, is that he's going home to see his daughter on her birthday. July 14th. J- my birthday. Birthday is July 14th. My daddy's coming home on July 14th. I'm going to see my daddy for the first time on July 14th. <laughs> my daddy is been paroled. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and he's bringing with him a bunny rabbit that he's gotten from the jailhouse commissary uh, instead of a pack of Marlboro cigarettes, you know? And he's doing everything he can to protect that bunny. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to deliver, I'm going to hand deliver that bunny to my daughter, even if it's gross, disgusting, covered in blood, p- plain juice, and also sewer water. <laughs> 
That is true love. <laughs> he pull, he literally pulls it out of a sewer grate at the end of the movie. And like, good for him. He's keeping an eye on that bunny the whole time. But uh, it looks disgusting by the time he gives it to her. I honestly feel like that bunny has the mark of a Nicolas Cage addition to the film. Oh, like he decided that. I feel like. I, like, I, I hope have, he decided the hair. I like, he was like, no, I need the long hair. <laughs> I need the long hair. Uh, this man started growing his hair as a symbol of how long it's been since he's seen his wife. <laughs> <laughs> like the way Amish men grow beards after they get married. <laughs> it's weird, though. Like, we should highlight the fact that it is weird that he has not seen his daughter yet. Like, he refuses to let her come to the prison. Like, I get it. You're a good guy who's been smacked with the strong arm of the law. I don't want my baby's first memories of her daddy to be in a jailhouse meeting room with home-baked cookies and lovelorn men. (laughs) Is that that what he says? The home-baked cookies sound nice. It's probably, (laughs) it's the secret drug swaps that I I would be concerned about. Yeah, yeah. All the secret hand jobs under the tables, you know. Like, you're in prison for eight years. Pride is out the window. Like, let your daughter fucking meet you. <laughs> and honestly, he's a military man. I feel like he would have an easier time in prison. He got probably second degree murder, murder in self-defense, something, something, something. The guards, don't you think they would be like, you can have the trailer? You, no, I don't think so. Oh. I think the guards don't give a fuck about anybody that's in there. They're oh. just like, fuck you, you're a piece of shit, and I get to control you. But you serve for our country. Yeah, I mean, at least in movies. You know, like, I'm sure there's nice prison guards out there and all, but uh, by and large, prisons don't exactly seem like the a system built for giving anyone humanity. And But the thing, the funny thing to what you're saying here, though, is that because he was a, a ranger, they threw the book at him even more in the movie. The whole idea at the beginning is like, look, you can't... Oh, Right, because they're like, you're a weapon of mass destruction. (laughs) You're a weapon? As a U.S. Ranger, you're a weapon of mass destruction. That is what Kim just said. Your fists are guns to other people. (laughs) Yeah, like these guys who have been creeping on his wife the whole time that he's been out in the Ranger Training Academy. She's listening to this song on repeat in the jukebox. It's driving them fucking crazy. It's driving me fucking crazy. That's probably why you keep singing it. I've been singing it for like four days. They, you know, they corner them in in the parking lot on the way out they want to beat the shit out of him just because they hate him I because guess. plot because plot and yeah he one guy pulls out a knife and then he does that you know that thing where you jam your fucking you know uh palm into a dude's nose and shove his his fucking nose bone up into his brain like a bullet i don't know if that really works it happens in movies a lot it's a good kill yeah instantaneous and also it was raining it was classy and based on recommendations from his lawyer he pleads guilty to try and get a reduced sentence i will sentence. not plead guilty to murder but then he does. <laughs> and the judge is literally like, hey, so you pled guilty and you are a U.S. Ranger, which makes you more dangerous. And because of that, we're giving you seven to ten. He does his time politely. He does a whole bunch. He, you know, he works out a lot in his in his cell. He learns how to do origami, makes best friends with a diabetic dude. And, uh, and who only really holds him down when he comes to Connor. What are you talking about? He he's he's there. He's been apparently uh, looking after him the whole time he's in jail. I don't believe that. I mean, he's been getting them the good books, so I believe it. Well, I mean, it says that he's he keeps saying that Nicolas Cage is the one that's been like looking after him oh. while he's in jail. Like I don't know, just because he could do some push ups and he occasionally gets like a fun little baby treat or whatever from his wife that he shares with him. Yeah, they're best buds. He's very diabetic. The first person Ving Rhames kills when he gets let out is the is the medic who was there trying to give this dude his insulin and now they're without a syringe but they do have a small bottle of insulin and half the movie is Nicolas Cage trying to find a syringe for this dude so he doesn't die. 
Okay, but looking at this movie selfishly, like a convict would. Okay. He has multiple, multiple, yeah, he's got a couple opportunities where he could leave the plane, but he doesn't because his friend needs insulin. He tries to leave the plane to get his friend the medical help that he needs and alert the authorities when they are transferring prisoners at a second stop. They pick him up. I don't know, somewhere in the middle of America. And then they're going to Carson City. And at Carson City, six guys get off, ten guys get on. He tries to be one of those six guys going off. But when he finds out, because his plan is that he's just going to start hollering as soon as he gets off the plane. And, you know, the plane won't leave the tarmac. Everybody, you know, the U.S. Marshals will be alerted to what's going on. People will go back to prison. And this guy's going to get his insulin. He saves the day is the idea. But when he discovers that they're going to... Uh, gag everybody with duct tape so that way they can't talk. That's when he decides to stay. Like he was gonna leave. He took. He was gonna take that opportunity, but it was a bullshit opportunity. And his buddy would have died. The female guard, all of the other guards would have died. And uh, see, too honorable. Yeah, but he's a U.S. Marshal, Kim, or a U.S. <laughs> Ranger. He's gotta lead the fight. He I, never he... leaves a man behind. He's he's still. Despite being incarcerated and probably stripped of any military honor that yeah, he's ever been given, yeah, you'd think he would not be so patriotic at this point. That's, but it's 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 a fight that he's uh, that he that it's it's a, it's a code of honor and a fight that he's been living his entire life. Fight that he's been fighting his entire life. He's lawful good. It's just, actually, yeah, I wanted, <laughs> he's a fucking hero. I did kind of want to go through and align all of the the prisoners, but I don't know if you'd be into that. Align? Sure, go for it. No, I'll I go get her no. a drink. You tell us what fucking Harry Potter house they're in. And no. when I <laughs> when I get back, we can continue the conversation. Stop. <laughs> I don't know, man. Most of them are chaotic evil, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Except Ving Rhames. Man, that first, that first fucking person he kills is brutal. He's evil, evil. <laughs> they don't have any weapons at this point. All he's got is the handcuffs that he's just picked with, uh, with a little uh, like nail that they've sort of hidden in their palms. And he just starts gouging this dude's throat out with the handcuffs. It's fucking gnarly. <laughs> I mean, it is, an, it is an action movie, so it's not like... It's not like Seven. You know, we're not like really seeing it happen or anything. But... Uh, the implication is is bad. <laughs> One thing I will say about the swappy swap before we get too far away swappy from Swappy swap. Where they sway swapped out prisoners for other prisoners. Okay, sure. When Nicolas Cage decides not to get on, he does a really smart thing. Like he's going to the the guard that they have, you know, dressed up like a prisoner uh, and gagged and whatever. And he's like, where's my picture you took from me? And he puts the recording device that the undercover cop was wearing to kind of signal to the guards down uh, when they check them in that, you know, one there was a something's up an undercover agent on yeah. this plane. Yeah, so that DEA agent who died was a plant because at Carson City they're going to be picking up a uh, prisoner who's heavily involved in the drug trade. And the whole idea is that he's um, he's he's going to try and milk him for information along the way. Because, you know, like, oh, he likes to brag about what he does with other prisoners. And brag that he can get a plane. And maybe you can get him to talk. <laughs> but, you know, in reality, what's happening is that behind the scenes... John Malkovich, Cyrus the Virus, and a whole bunch of other convicts have coordinated a prison escape for this cartel member, and somewhere after Carson City, they're going to swap planes and fly off to a tropical island where there's no extradition. I think the only prisoners that are involved in this heist, everybody else is kind of like, good luck, Chuck. John Malkovich, Cyrus the Virus, P. 
Pinball, Dave Chappelle. Yes, who st- who sets a fire at the very beginning as a distraction and is, is responsible for getting Ving Rhames and John Malkovich out of their cages. Honestly, dies way too soon. He is Oh, yeah. How characters. do you kill the comedic relief that yeah, early? He's so good. And Ving Rhames. Those are the three first-tier convicts involved in the heist. And yes. then the one guy from the Mexican cartel that gets on at the the, the swap. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, everybody he's, else he's, is he's the real. Like... He's the person that they're trying to get out of prison. Everybody else is just helping him get out, and they're going to be paid handsomely for it with their freedom. Yeah, the only people that do not look enthused are Nicolas Cage, his buddy Baby O, and the female officer. <laughs> yeah, are the three people who are just like reluctant the whole ride. I mean, like, would any of the prisoners even give a shit? I mean, the one, the ones who are like, I'm, you know, there's one guy's like, I'm too old for this shit. Uh, like, a few people get off at Carson because three of the guys that were supposed to leave accidentally got killed in the scuffle. Whoops. Yeah, just just a little collateral damage. So, like, I mean, a few people who don't want anything and who don't want to be involved in this whatsoever hop off but everybody else could because the idea too is like these are maximum security prisoners a lot of them are already on death row they're just being transferred to different facilities so you know as, as some What's of them another out, life sentence yeah like there's one guy who's like i'm serving eight consecutive life sentences there's no fucking way i'm getting off this plane so like yeah of course it's kind of a make it or break mission like either we're gonna get away or we're gonna die trying because otherwise we're just gonna rot in prison yeah such a great setup for a movie like just like a whole cast of characters that have perfect like they they all inherently have motivation and nothing to, to lose exactly that's what that's makes them so dangerous, dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> hands down the most horror moment of the whole movie is when they are at Lerner Airfield in the middle of nowhere trying to do the plane swap. They're they're landing in this tiny little podunk town where there's... It's a gas station. Yeah. <laughs> a gas station and then like a car graveyard. What do you call those? Junkyards. Junkyard. <laughs> yeah, gas station, junkyard, a diner, and a little airstrip. But there's zero police for like hundreds of miles. So, you know, if all goes wrong, they've at least got plenty of time before anybody shows up, which is good because everything goes wrong. The whole fuck, the fucking plane crashes by the time they get to the airfield. There's supposed to be another plane waiting for them there. It's not there when they show up. So they're just waiting for it. In the meantime, they're digging this plane out in case they need it to take off, which is good. Getting gas for it. Because they find out that the the guy that's hired them, the cartel member, has tried to double cross them. There was never any plan of taking any of the other prisoners. His guys were waiting with a small twin engine plane in a in a little barn somewhere down the strip and he's going to take off without them cuz like it does not he does not fucking need them whatsoever. Which leads to a great fucking moment when they discover that he has tried to fuck them over. The wing of, like, one of the wings of his plane gets knocked off by John Cusack, who's made to the air. Yeah, John Cusack is like, he found out because of Dave Chappelle's body. Nicolas Cage wrote a note to him and where they were going. Kim is trying to yada, yada, yada. One of the best parts of this fucking movie. One of the biggest At one point, John Cusack gets in a bulldozer to, like, stop something that the bad guys are doing, and nobody questions, like, hey, wait, who is in the motherfucking bulldozer? I think they just think the the bulldozer failed, or they were a little too distracted at their salvation, the plane they were waiting for, disappearing. Yeah, he knocks off the rudder, or one of the wings, or whatever, whatever with the bulldozer arm um 
plane crashes. There's gas everywhere at the gas station. And Cyrus the virus says sayonara and throws a fucking cigarette at this guy and engulfs him in flames. No, it's, no. What happens is the guy's like, Cy, and he's like, Anara. I, yeah, it was, <laughs> I thought it was too hard to try and explain on a podcast. It was great. I love it. Great it's in over the, the worst top. ways. Yeah, no, it's awful. It's perfect. It's what you want when you go to the movies. Yeah, no, in the middle there, like, John Cusack figures out where they're going because they've, you know, in the swap, they've gotten a new pilot whose name is Swamp Thing, which is rad. Love it. Just a fucking redneck dude who knows how to wire stuff together. They take the transponder, they hide it in a tourist plane, so they're, you know, following a different, completely different plane when they take off from the airfield. But because no one knows where they're going, Nicolas Cage knows that he needs to send a message to John Cusack. They find Pinball's body caught up in the landing gear, which is slowing them down. So R.I.P. R.I.P. Pinball. When they are trying to get his body out, he writes, you know, he writes the U.S. Marshal's name, John Cusack's name, where they're going. I believe I covered this. Kicks the body out. <laughs> it is so fucking funny. That's like, that's just a whole beat in the movie that's hilarious. We could have skipped over that entirely. They could have just been like a fucking scene where John Cusack gets a phone call. But instead, we see Dave Chappelle's weird body double floating through the air with a message written on it, fallen from the sky and crushing a car of like a touristy couple in the middle of the city. It's kind of funny that you mentioned the diehard comparison between John Cusack and Oh yeah. And this Nicholas is the welcome Cage. to the party pal moment. Yeah, this yeah. is like the ho ho ho, now I have a machine gun. Well that too, I guess, yeah. <laughs> no, that scene's great. I, also, I feel like I'm contractually obligated to say that you know, the, the husband in that that funny couple that gets their car caved in is the general from Twin Peaks. Are you con- contractually obligated? Uh, by yeah. me? <laughs> B- by myself. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just fun. It's I mean, we're talking about a non-horror movie on a horror podcast. Let's at least talk about all the horror, you know, connections that we can find. I feel like I saved us with that 13 Ghosts reference. Yeah, no, that was real good. Uh, <laughs> Steve Buscemi, though, definitely owns the biggest horror moment of the entire movie. Yes! When they are at Lerner Airfield and they're digging the plane out, they're getting gas for it, they're halted, like nothing's happening. So a lot of them are just going around exploring the area. And this is the one guy you don't want to let your eyes off of. He wanders out and has a little creepy tea party with a very young girl. Who's just, you know, hanging out completely alone and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, they're, I think they're in, an, a, they're in an empty pool, right? In yeah. The, in a trailer park somewhere. She's got dirt all over her face, but she's got Barbies and a tea set and they're singing gospel songs. And the, the, can't, like, the lens is a little askew. It's different. He's staring at her in a weird way. He's talking about how he's sick, but like in the head. And then the next shot you see when he's back on the plane, he's holding the Barbie doll and there's a broken teacup where they were hanging out having a good time and all implication is that he murdered this little girl yeah they do they deliberately do not end that scene for the audience it's great i mean as the plane takes off after they've killed a whole bunch of dea agents that have shown up in like one of the coolest junkyard gunfights ever nicholas cage is like diving through fucking windows and doors and shit as bombs are going off he looks hella cool the whole time uh but still very you know nice for moms 
we finally see the nice little girl. For mom. That's I don't know how else to describe him in this movie. He's they they really soften the edges on a ra- on the rage cage. My favorite shot of Nicolas Cage is in this moment, and it they they're shooting it like tw- like golden hour. Okay, um, you know, like six fifteen p.m. Mm-hmm. And Nicolas Cage's long hair is blowing in the wind. It's right when is this when he's running from the explosion? No, it's right when uh, I'm not sure if it's Cyrus is about to like assassinate three dudes. Oh, this is yes, and he's like diamond diamond. Dog's gonna kill a bunch of uh, kill a bunch of police, and he's wardens. like, "Don't do it!" And his hair is just like luminous, and there's so much like good light on him, but so much so that like it looks like a green screen, but I don't think it is. I don't think so either. It is so separate from the rest of the movie and the rest of the film's lighting and color palette. You're like. This didn't go, but they had to put it in because Nicolas Cage looked so majestic. Well, it's like they caught a fucking unicorn in the <laughs> distance and they were like, doesn't go with this movie, but we got to put it in. We got to have it. It's, well, it's, it's also similar to that scene where he finally gets off. He's getting off the bus for the first time, I think, like before he gets on the plane. And it's just like the sun hits him. And he's like, ah. Oh my god! And the camera's like underneath him. Yeah, I mean it's it's a gif, it's a meme. We've all seen it a hundred times on the internet. This is the movie that it's from. And yeah, he does a very bad bad guy impression when he's trying to convince Ving Rhames not to kill these uh, these cops. It's like I hate motherfucking cops too. There's oh. nothing that I'd like to do more than put a bullet in each of their skulls. That was but... good. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> and then he and, and he honestly did not understand a word he was saying until he put the subtitles on. Uh, basically, it convinces them that like, hey, maybe this guy's gonna double cross us. He does, and that's what leads them back onto the plane, up in the air, trying to fly away from the cops. Which eventually leads to a dope crash landing on the Las Vegas Strip. This fucking movie's got it all, man. Plane crashes on the Las Vegas Strip at night? Genius. Fucking love it. The the the, the wings of the plane, like, take out the fucking, I don't know, like, the sands or something. Like, what is it that they crash into? Yeah, I think it might be the sands. Yeah. It's, this is also back when Stardust still existed. The casino owned and operated by the mob that you can see in Martin Scorsese's casino. Out in casino. the open. Now they're still operated by the mob, but it's secret. <laughs> well, they blew that casino up. But yes, the entire city, very definitely some shady business happening out in the <laughs> desert. I love the I love the deaths in the end of this movie. Like it, they are classic sort of uh, action movie stuff. We've got John Cusack and Nicolas Cage. There's on a big racy race. There's a fire thingy, and they racy race, <sighs> and then John Malkovich dies. Wow, that was fast. And then he's reunited with his family in the bunny. That fucking scene where There's John Malkovich. The <laughs> that scene where John Malkovich gets his head crushed in the junkyard is incredible. Also, apparently a junkyard right on the strip. Like they drive through old Las Vegas of Fremont. Yeah, they're <laughs> like they're like on the strip. They're on Fremont. They're back on the strip. They're on Fremont again. You're Hard like, Rock cafes on the strip in this movie, <laughs> and then bam, we're in a, in a junkyard in the middle of nowhere. Also, Circus Circus is in so many shots, and Circus Circus is like on one end of the strip, and they're on the other end. We don't need to talk about the geography of the strip. Too I just much. think the geography of Vegas in movies is always wonderful after you've been there because every movie you see it in every movie no movies care about continuity in Vegas well but I mean there are things about Vegas we all know that you need to have there yeah like you need to have Circus Circus you need to have the Hard Rock Cafe um, at least as far as like movies go and in your mind before you visit Las Vegas you're like oh they're all side by side and kind of I mean they are but but it's like like, a mile each yeah (laughs) the, the property size of these places is fucking insane 
And then we end on like the greatest little button where where Steve Buscemi. This is the weirdest part of the whole movie. They, they like they're pulling. It's played like it's like a little upbeat moment. Like oh, quirky quirks. So the the big heist was actually kind of successful. Yeah. Because the baddest dude is drinking a hurricane and playing craps. <laughs> Doesn't even try, like, he's not even trying to get out of the city. He's just blending in where there's a shit ton of cameras to follow him. It's great. It's so fucking weird. They're, they're gathering body parts. Like, literally, Danny Trejo is, is in several pieces. They pick up his body, they carry him out, and you discover that his arm is fucking severed and dangling from the goddamn and it's roof. that arm, like, the, the bad arm with the tattoos. Yeah. The evil arm. The <laughs> evil arm. Yeah, this is the arm that makes me hurt all these women. <laughs> And yeah, like they're they're everybody's accounted for except we're missing one. And yeah, there we go. Just a nice little happy send you off on your way button where knowing a, that a serial killer is loose to kill again. Don't you think that he's found redemption? Maybe do you not think that? Now let's forget everything you know about serial killers. Okay, it's not a psychological thing. It's just a choice, according to this movie. He, I don't think it is though. I think. They, they just don't understand the gravity of their own ending. <laughs> I like to think that he spends the rest of his life going around the country just trying to pay it forward, you know? Like, he wins a bunch of money at the craps table, and then he buys lunch for a guy who just lost everything at a craps yeah, table. Yeah, but he could still do that and be a terrible person who still murders people. That's true, um, <laughs> you know, but you know, I, I, I like to imagine Human that Human beings he, are complicated, John. <laughs> he gets a nice little job working at a diner. And murders people on the side. <laughs> And helps out the owner who's struggling. And murders people on the side. And then when that's done, he moves on to another jet place Because he's murdered too many people in that town. Calls himself Jackie Daytona and brings the volleyball team to the championship. Because now he's a vampire? (laughs) (laughs) I just like to think that he's seen the error of his ways. He's, we're making a case for the prison system here. He's fully, he's fully rehabilitated, let back out into the wild, not dangerous whatsoever, and is having tea parties with children I mean he's definitely not getting the appropriate care in the prison facility not that I think he should be released but that's for that's for another podcast entirely (laughs) I will say though that Steve Buscemi has another one of my favorite moments in the film back when they finally take off and they've evaded the the police again they're all singing Sweet Home Alabama in honor of Nicolas Cage I guess because Nicolas Cage is from Alabama he's maybe the only person on the plane from Alabama (laughs) And Steve Buscemi's like, define irony. A bunch of convicts singing a song on a plane performed by people who died in a plane crash. Yes, yeah, which uh, is very funny. (laughs) But I mean, like, isn't, I don't know, like, Sweet Home Alabama, at least as far as movies go, definitely like the rebel song, like, ah, the underdogs won again. And a song uh, that we've all heard a million times, but is also used over the closing credits of the movie. But I think that's a kind of a great way to look at the film in that line, because the film itself is presented kind of light and fun, and like, there are really high stakes, there are a bunch of murderers who are potentially gonna, you know, like, be freed. Mm -hmm. But the film never feels dark but it has so many dark elements and that's why i think that sweet home alabama moment really mirrors when steve buscemi is free at the end of the movie because that's kind of the weird light and dark irony of it all that scene is played funny it's played like a little nod at the end you're almost happy he got out but it's fucking dark yeah yeah yeah. like the undertones are dark (laughs) that is what is so great about 
certain summer blockbuster movies. They don't have to make logical sense. They just have to fucking feel great to watch. <laughs> like, what a great time this movie was. Same same goes for Face Off. Though These are movies that you just have a ball watching, despite the implications, <laughs> despite the undertones, despite what they imply about humanity and uh, and, and just about things that we're capable of it's they it's movies have especially summer movies have an incredible way of taking characters that you should absolutely hate and despise and care for or at least hold hands with while you go along on a weird journey through the sky across america everybody in this movie except nicholas cage i mean and then arguably i guess baby o are bad people Almost everybody in this movie is bad, including some of the good guys. Like, the DEA agent, truly an evil person in the movie, is willing to just shoot down the plane full of a bunch of innocent people along with convicts just because they killed a guy that he put in a dangerous situation. Yeah, like, he's the guy that made a bad decision in that train track analogy. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's a, a movie that's just got such a great scenario and a great building of elements that you just you just want to see some shit explode and, and have a good time. It's true because most way through the movie, like not until the end, you don't want John Malkovich to get caught. This is like a really fun scenario. Yeah, the idea that they're going to get out, you're like, oh, I love seeing people pull off a plan, like actually do the impossible. Like they're bad, but they're crafty. <laughs> yes, yeah, like they, they are met with so many obstacles and they overcome them constantly and you're just like... Gotta admit, that was a smart move. Good on ya. Don't like that you killed that person, but I mean, it's a movie, so it doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> yeah, no, this movie, Con Air, such a great time. Uh, definitely the weirdest movie we've covered on this podcast, just based on what this podcast is. But always happy to talk about Nicolas Cage at any opportunity. And a, just a dope summer watch. Yeah. And a great pairing for Face Off. How are you going to rate Con Air, Kim? Uh, I'm going to give it a three and a half out of four. I'm also giving it a three and a half out of four. I uh, maybe a three point seven five, but it's always it always feels like a cheat to to split a to split a rating in half. So three point five, it's a hell of a good time. Yeah, honestly, if the whole movie was on the plane, I think I would be in four. Or four. The plane looks great. Yeah, like, I fucking just love. The I plane. just love like a one setting movie. Yeah, and I think th- it would have worked for this only because I don't care for John Cusack's character. He's stealing Nicolas Cage's shine. I like John Cusack, and I think he's wearing a nice, smart cotton suit throughout the whole movie. It's very, and he steals he steals that dude's car. It's really fun. Anyway. That's just our opinion on Con Air. Let us know what you thought of these blockbuster classics from the summer of 1997. Hit us up on Twitter at NOFS Podcast or in the Nightmare on Film Street Discord at nofspodcast.com slash discord. Also, a fun question that I want to put out to you guys. Name another film that is not of the horror genre that you think would be perfect for a Nightmare on Film Street episode. Oh, yeah. Anything that we absolutely shouldn't cover, but we could. Face Off and Con Air are perfect examples of that, right? Like, they are action movies through and through, but they have this dark streak in the middle of them that is just like, if you watch this on a double bill with a horror movie, it would totally fit. I can't wait to watch this movie with 13 Ghosts, Kim. That was such a cool-ass idea. They are sister movies. If you haven't already, please give us a five-star rating wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you're able to rate it, it really helps us grow the show more than you more than you would think. And it's the quickest, easiest, freest way of supporting Nightmare on Film Street. 
If you want even more content because you've been a fan of Nightmare on Film Street for a while, consider joining us on Patreon for a few bucks a month. We have bonus episodes, events, and all kinds of stuff for our supporters there. And it's just a really fun time. Yeah. Uh, that is at patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street or nofspodcast.com slash Fiend Club. Hell, there's a quick little link in the episode description of this podcast. You don't even have to type that shit out. You can just click a button wherever you're listening to this right now. That's it for us this week. Until next time, I'm Kim. I'm John. Stay Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive. But we'll get you next time. Help us to grow the horde. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. More terror can be found lurking on our website, nofspodcast.com. Until next time, stay creepy, fiends. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.